Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. I love it when I have the opportunity of bringing guests on that have so much energy, particularly when they've come off a successful Kickstarter campaign. Nothing better than that, the relief of having it over. But also the awareness of all the lessons that have been learned because of the experience that you've just been through. And that's, that's exactly what I have here. My guests today are uh, Jeremy Scheinberg. Jeremy, how'd I do? Yeah, pretty good. Scheinberg, okay. that's right. Okay. And Chris Harden. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You guys are the co-founders of Trobo, the storytelling robot. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a little bit of video going on this for those who are listening on their podcast. Just imagine in your mind the most amazing little uh, robot you've ever seen, who these guys have successfully been able to raise on Kickstarter. I'm sure you probably saw them out on Kickstarter. They got a little bit of exposure on a wide variety of, variety of media. And so we kind of wanted to talk about your journey. You raised $61,000 in the 34 days the campaign ran. Great amount of money. Your first campaign. And uh, let's talk about that. So tell us, first of all, a little bit about Trobo and how we got here. Okay, so Trobo is a plush toy with a software application on iPads that teaches stories about science and technology to children aged 2 to 7. And we started last November and launched it over a launch weekend started developing it, and our goal, big goal for market validation was our Kickstarter campaign, which started in September and ran through October 6th. So that's interesting. So you really started this a year ago. We're, we're taping this in November. So a year ago, you really started that campaign. And so as this thing ramped up, this wasn't like you don't have a manufacturing company where this is a product that you're bringing out. This is kind of a new concept right from scratch, right? It was. We did make sure to line up and find a manufacturer. We actually found one at Toy Fair that worked with us really well. And so we didn't want to launch one of the things we had to do before we launched a Kickstarter was make sure we could actually build it. You know, we've all supported campaigns before that have missed the manufacturing. Sure. And so we wanted to make sure we felt good that we could deliver on time. Part of that was finding a manufacturer that was willing to work with us, prototype with us on time, and uh, and we feel like we found that. Yeah, so although we started developing the product in November of last year, we really didn't do the Kickstarter campaign marketing work until May. That's Once we knew we had a product and a prototype and software and hardware that would actually work, that's when we started marketing. And so you started marketing this May. Let's talk about a little bit how that process started. So you guys had the idea, the concept, put it together, ready to go. And now you were like, okay, let's, let's launch this campaign. What were some of the process or steps that you went through to kind of get to that point to be ready? Because $61,000 is not a small amount of money to raise on your very first crowdfunding project. So you, you must've done something right. We did, but we also actually, if we had it, if we had launched it in May, we probably would have launched it for a lot higher too, which would have been a big mistake. We went back and forth on that. The first thing we started doing, of course, was listening to your show. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. That's always nice to hear. Glad it was the Bible of our campaign. Free <laughs> episode, and uh, we picked up a lot of great tips from many of your guests. Right. Uh, also got introduced to Jamie Stegmeyer that way. Started following his blog, and one other gentleman, Tim Ferriss. Sure. How to hack Kickstarter? Great website. We follow a lot of the stuff that he recommended as well. So. Starting essentially from scratch, except for our own personal Facebook networks, we created a Facebook page, the Twitter page, we went out to Pinterest, the major social media that we thought would be effective for Trobo, and we started building our social networks, started blogging regularly in the world of STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and math, 
and then started raising awareness for our Kickstarter launch. You know, that's a good point because myself, a lot of my guests have been out of the board game space. Jamie Stegmeyer obviously runs a board gaming company. Tim Ferriss is very famous for his four-hour work week, so definitely outside of that area. But you guys are kind of in a category somewhere, because it's not a game, certainly, right? right? And it's not necessarily a toy. And so you found yourself in this space that maybe hasn't been as well-defined on Kickstarter as some of these other categories have. Well, there are a few other competing products. It's not a big category, but we consider Goldie Blocks to be a Sure. Product. Oh, yeah. It was in the same space. And there's a product called Ubley as well. So we had a few products that we could look at to see how they had performed, what they had tried to do. We used those products and a couple of others to format our video structure. We analyzed five of their, their videos, successful campaign videos, and we built the structure of our video based on what they had done and the messaging that we felt resonated with their customers, which are parents and grandparents trying to buy educational toys for their kids. So there's one thing to use the keyword buy. There's one thing to buy an educational toy for your kids. And as we've talked, you guys uh, did a lot of things, outreach programs to these people. But we're not talking about buying, are we? We're talking about crowdfunding, and that probably proved to be a little bit of a challenge. It did. We definitely, with our with the, the group that we were trying to, to reach out to, parents and grandparents, we made the assumption, probably incorrectly, that everybody knew what, what crowdfunding and Kickstarter was. We realized very early on that we would have to do some education, so we, Chris put together a video about how, how easy it was to back up a Kickstarter campaign. But even two weeks into the campaign, we would hear from people of our parents' age and their peer group, Am I buying equity in your company? Is this a charity? And at that point, that raised a red flag with us that we did not do a good enough job explaining what we're actually trying to do. And we basically changed our messaging dramatically at that point to make sure that they knew that they were pre-ordering a toy that would be available next year and that this was the seed money that was going to help bring it to market. We actually started out initially because our core crowd, of course, we wanted to bring the 30% in the first couple of days, which we were lucky enough to do. Our messaging was help us fund the dream. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about bringing value to their children and, and sort of helping them set a good standard for education for their children, even as toddlers. But the early message was fund the dream. Then about halfway through is when we said we need to clarify what Kickstarter is and communicate this is a pre-order system so that those who are a little further out in our network who don't fully understand Kickstarter at all understand what they're getting. And so we, we made a marketing change yeah. halfway through. And you talk about that network. You, you talked about the 30% that you first initially reached out to and got to fund it out of the gate. How did you extend them beyond your network? Because that's always the challenge that everybody finds themselves. How do I go beyond friends and family? Your Kickstarter page has a, an extensive amount of media coverage that you got for your project. What were some of the things that you did to reach out beyond that network? It, in some respects, it was difficult. And we've mentioned we weren't really sure we were getting outside of our network. It wasn't until about two-thirds of the way through the campaign where Chris and I sat down with a list of our backers and did the I know this person, you know this person, we know this person, that we found out that half of our backers were from outside of our network. Up until that point, we probably would have guessed that we were about 10 or 15% out of our network. Yeah. But we reached out everywhere on Twitter. We found, of course, that there is an obstacle that once you're in the middle of a campaign, it's very difficult to get support from people because they don't want to feel like they're making your campaign. We right. Kind of and, and I think I've said on the show, the first time they want encounter you isn't that you're asking them for basically for money, right? The, fir right. the first interaction shouldn't be the, the please give me money. I don't know you. You don't know me. But yeah, exactly. here's, right, here's why you should give me money. We were actually very fortunate. We reached out to some magazines directly, including TechCrunch, and they wrote about us. And we got, that, we got a bump from that about halfway through the campaign. Before we come back to that, 
because people listening are like, oh, I'm going to do that. And having had a few of those folks on the show, those, uh, those media outlets, they're just getting flooded. What do you think it was yeah. about, about your project that broke through a little bit? So I think we got lucky. We were part of a tech incubation program here in Orlando, and they brought early on a media panel. And that's the message that we got from a lot of the people. We had newspaper people, television people. I don't want to hear about your Kickstarter. I don't want to hear about Kickstarter. <laughs> what they said was, tell me something that's valuable to my readership mm-hmm. or to my listenership. And that really resonated with us. So instead of asking them to cover us because we're on Kickstarter, we tried to tailor our press releases and our emails and conversations with them to what their people needed. And we were courteous and polite. And if they didn't want to cover us, hey, it's cool, we mm-hmm. understand. But we formatted our message, which is two dads trying to create an educational toy for their kids and other children into a format that they would want to present to their readers, whether they were for parents and, and, and general TV audience, or whether they're for text, which we could also talk about tech because it's an iPad application. Mm-hmm. So we networked with those media. We, we reached out to our universities, our hometowns, ran articles for us about the products and how, hey, you know, hometown boy does good. Right. And so anybody and everything that we, anyone we thought might be interested in some aspect of our story, we tailored a little email and a press release to them. And, and we have a press page. You've got to have a press page on your website. And we made it as easy as possible for them to do something on Trobo or us. I think we very much subscribe to the idea that you never know who is out there. And so we would drive to speak to groups, and there'd be five or ten people in the audience. We drove four hours to get there. Yeah. But it was a matter of you never know who this person could connect to you and, or who it's going to resonate with. There was one day to give you we, – we did follow Jamie's advice where he tried to be somewhere every day guest blogging, our own blog, social media, doing presentations. We had a couple of conventions, a maker fair, interviews, any sort of interviews we could get. And by being present, just kept, we just kept pushing all to these entities who didn't know who we were. We felt like we were, trying to, we were able to get out of our network. And we actually did do two press releases with a PR company, two separate PR companies, and we think the, sec- the first press release really didn't resonate for us, but the second one, we got a lot of traction. Yeah. It was just a little late in the campaign for us. We wish we had done it earlier, yeah. Yeah, so we got a lot of post-Kickstarter media from that, Associated Press, interest from CNN and some other large companies. But get your press. If you're going to use a PR company, commit to it and do it earlier in your campaign to get the value out of it. Although there is a chicken and the egg, the PR, right? It's not until you start to have the success that then you get the success. Yeah, but she was able to get through doors that we would definitely not be able to get through ourselves. Right, because you're in the you're in the middle of running a campaign, right? We were in the, when we were in and the trough, also. Yeah. So from our perspective, there's a little bit of fatigue. We were trying to re-energize, and so we would get feedback from her. This person wants to do a discussion. This person wants to do an interview, and so she was able to get through doors because they had relationships with press people that we wouldn't have had. From our perspective, no matter how much we minimized it in our press releases and said, you know, we're two dads working on this. Oh, by the way, we're running a Kickstarter campaign. They're, they're, we still couldn't get through, whereas they were able to get through. Yeah, they were. And that actually is a good point. The first PR company we used wasn't really in the toy space, which is where we, we are. Mm-hmm. The second one was, and they had the connections. So when you talk with a PR company, make sure they have the connections you in need your industry, yeah. to get you into the magazines that you want to get Yeah, because it's not just about putting out – I mean, we think the internet – everybody reads everything on the internet, right? But they don't, right? Just putting a press release out there doesn't mean anybody's going to really pay attention to what you're doing. 
And mm-hmm. you're bringing up an interesting aspect, and that is the bloom is off the Kickstarter rose as far as the novelty of raising money in crowdfunding to these organizations. Now, so you had two audiences, one that was Kickstarter fatigue and the other one that was Kickstarter ignorant. Right. Right. And so how do you get the Kickstarter fatigue people who are in the job of telling people about your story to mm-hmm. go talk to the Kickstarter ignorant people who have never heard the, the story in the first place? And I think in the end, they just weren't really willing to do that. I think it was our responsibility to do that. And we had to do it on a, on a more one to one basis. And that takes a lot. Of, that takes a lot of work. It took a lot of work. And one thing we did, we tried to quantify the ability that, that one person's voice would have. And we really, especially towards the middle and late of the campaign, it was send this message out to five people. And especially being they were parents, their network was parents also, that they would resonate with that. And so we got some success with that. And also towards the end of the campaign, we tried to quantify if each person ups their pledge by X amount, we will get there. Because we were... Really so, down to the wire there. So that sounds like – so that advice, which I totally agree with, but let's just be – approach this. That advice sounds like you're going back to these people, hammering them again, right? And this is the feeling that you're going through, that they have heard so much from you about crowdfunding and Kickstarter. The last thing you want to do is go ask them one more time to re- reach into their wallets and support this. And that, that's got to be the feelings that are going through you when you're doing this. That's, that's how we felt. There um, were two feelings. It was that, and thank God we didn't sign up for a 60-day campaign. Right, right. <laughs> so we, we would have been doing this for 60 days. But, you know, we crafted a very simple email. It was visual. It mm-hmm. was large letters. If each person commits $25 more, we can make this goal. And we made it real simple. And what we found is that there were backers who really wanted us to be successful, mm-hmm. and they did. They they came back with a lot more than sure. just what we were asking for. It was, it was kind of mind blowing to see that yeah. happen. But if you look at our kick track, that last couple of days, a lot of that was our initial backers going back and adding and more. I think, I think there was a reluctance on our part that do we really want to do this? I mean, we really are fatiguing. And we had that realization that look, there's only a few days left. We're all in it at this point. Yeah. What, Go know, for it. Yeah, what else, what else are we going to do? And then also I think that you've probably learned because it always happens is that they are not fatigued, right? Yeah. You think yeah. you're telling – you're hammering them every day. And whether they saw that tweet or that Facebook post or really paid attention to that email or, yes, oh, I saw that. Oh, thanks for the reminder. I need to go back to that. You don't know those thoughts that are going through their heads. And you just think, right, that it's from your perspective, but it really is not. Actually, you, you raised a good point about the visibility in Facebook and Twitter. We did use Hootsuite. We scheduled out several iterations of the same message. Let's talk day. about that. For those who aren't familiar with Hootsuite, talk about I am. We've talked about it on the show a couple of times, but let's be clear how you use this tool to manage your social media. So Hootsuite, you tie in accounts from your other social media. We put our personal Facebook accounts in there, our main Facebook page. We put... LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook page. We did Google Plus. We did Twitter. We'd love to put Instagram in there, but we had to do Instagram separately. And basically, we and my own personal Twitter account was Mm -hmm. in there too. You can put a a message in there. Hootsuite will tell you how many characters you're using and whether or not it'll fit in Twitter or whatever ones you want to choose in your broadcast. You can schedule the time of day, or you can let it do it on its own. We schedule the time of day, Mm -hmm. and we always put a picture. Every time we post, we put a picture. And so we would take on a Monday and would schedule out the posts that would happen for Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. We would pre-write blogs. 
If guest blogs were coming out, we would schedule the Hootsuite posting, and we would do it a few times during the day because we learned that you know the there's only a, you've actually talked about this yourself. There's a life cycle, a one hour, if that much life cycle on an image on something like Facebook and mm-hmm. Twitter can be even smaller. So you have to get into the window where your readership on Facebook or Twitter are going to see it. The other thing we did was we did boost several ads on Facebook to to get past that. 16% or 12% limit that Facebook has yeah. for your page followers so that we can get more people in our networks to see the messaging we were putting out. And so like here, this is Curie. This is our Curie doll. We made one specific around mm-hmm. robots are for girls because we we're getting a lot of feedback that people thought robot toys would be just for boys. And we made a whole campaign right. around that. It was very visual and engaging. And we ran it twice during the Kickstarter campaign. And we boosted it yeah. because we got a lot of good response. Yeah, and, and going back to the Goldilocks, the Goldilocks project, again, science, toys, learning, technology, all of these things are starting to resonate with a lot of parents. And you guys have proven, and we're just about out of time, that you don't have to be a big manufacturing company. You don't have to be a Hasbro, right, that with a good idea, and now because of access to manufacturing, access to technology, a good idea can be put together, and you can find a crowd out there that's willing to fund it and back it. I think ultimately you have to believe in your product and feel passionate about it. Otherwise, it can be draining. But ultimately, we throughout the campaign, whenever there be those low times, especially, and it's difficult, especially when you don't see the needle moving all that much, mm-hmm. you look at it and you get reassurance from some of your prime backers that they're, they feel passionate about it too, and it keeps you energized and keeps you going. And that's, that's really the part that keeps you, keeps you moving through the campaign. Yeah, and you know, we, we talked a little bit about the whole Remind Me button, not being able to see the Remind Me button on Kickstarter. I think... We weren't aware of the Remind Me button for a long time in the campaign until late. And then we recognized that, okay, people are aware of this. They can be reminded by Kickstarter in the last two days. There's no way of tracking that, which is kind of a a troublesome thing. And, like, we handed out the candy bags like one of your guests had recommended, which we think probably fed into that. But there's no way to directly see every effort that you put in, how that affects Kickstarter. You, You can almost never see all that stuff. We did see the bump from TechCrunch and a couple of other significant things we did, like going back to the well and, of course, all the campaign we did in the first couple of days. But you just have to know that it could be, as long as you're close, those last couple of days could be very huge, as long as you've done a lot of consistent campaigning throughout your, throughout mm-hmm. your, your period. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. Thank Thanks, you, Richard. Richard. Nice, to, nice to talk with you. We've been talking to uh, Jeremy and Chris, who are the co-founders of... Uh, basically, Here Comes Trobo. Trobo, the uh, storytelling robot. You can find them at herecomestrobo.com. You can find them at Here Comes Trobo on Facebook, Here Comes Trobo on Twitter. Reach out. It's a great little uh, thing that they've done, and we're thrilled with their success, and we can't wait to see over the next year as they uh, bring this product to market. Thanks for listening, folks. Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Today's show is produced by Come Alive Creative. We want to thank their work, and you can find them at comealivecreative.com. Thanks for listening. Take care. Take care.